Hey, everybody. Welcome back again to uh, an episode of Rethink with Revitalist. Uh, this is another part in our special IOP edition uh, with Hope. And we love having Hope back because she really breaks down each of these sections that are related to IOP and then how they translate to not only what Revitalist is doing, what, you know, what different centers are doing across the country, um, and then relating it back to those different parts. Uh, when we were talking about addiction, when we were talking um, about the, the ketamine infusion therapy, kind of how all of this is going to fit together. So today's episode is about DBT, how it got started, why it got started, um, and, and the real hard science behind it. So Hope, thanks for being here today. And Katie, thanks for being here as well. Um, we, we want to get that back and forth from the two of you because that's what people crave. You know, they really want to hear what they can get from the middle path and revitalist and really having you both on is, is just a joy to hear, um, that message. So Hope, I want to kind of pass it first to you and give us a background a little bit about DBT how it got started, you know, who was this person that thought it up? And, and, you know, it's been a thing for a little while, but how has it evolved to be part of the 21st century? You know, what we're doing now with, uh, with treatments. Absolutely. So, um, dialectical behavior therapy, I just want to clarify, it's not diabolical behavior therapy. <laughs> a lot of people sometimes think it's diabolical. I'm just clarifying <laughs> So DBT therapy, um, it was created by um, a lady named Dr. Marsha Linehan. Um, and the way that this started out was really, really interesting. In fact, she has a book about how she started um, DBT. But um, Marsha Linehan had um, extensive inpatient hospitalization when she was a young woman. And she talks about how really intense her, her mental illness was. And she felt like there were people in the hospital that were really trying to help her, but nobody was really getting through to her. And again, again, this is a time when you could go into the hospital for like a couple years, right? So she was in the hospital for several years and nothing was effective, nothing was working. And she somehow got out of the hospital and decided to become a psychologist. As she completed her doctoral program, she realized what, she, what information or what intervention would have been effective for her if she had received what she now created. So that's really amazing when you think about she created a therapy for what would have helped her like 30 years early in her life. Mm -hmm. And so she worked with a team of people and she came up with, this is her second edition, but this is the DBT skills workbook. And her first edition was about like 50 pages. <laughs> so her second edition, is, uh, she got significantly um, more complex and more detailed. But the awesome thing about this and the science is that this is an evidence-based model. And so what I love about that and what we do in uh, our intensive outpatient program is we are following her model and it builds upon each other. And I'll tell you a little bit about those. That is very different than when you go to other intensive outpatient programs mm -hmm. 
you have a lot of processing and then you have people that are like, I'm having a really hard time with my anger. And all of a sudden the master's level, not licensed clinician, master's level uh, social worker will bring out, you know, like a sheet on anger and they talk about mm-hmm. anger and that's good and that's helpful, but it's not a program that builds upon each other to provide skills that help you really rebalance the way you're living your life. So dialectical behavior therapy is about um, balancing the emotions that we have in our mind with our logical and reasonable thought, paying attention to our intuition and working through and using all of those skills to create what she calls the wise mind. And I'll just put that up there for you to see. (laughs) Cool. And so it's that wise mind, which is the balance and dialectical behavior therapy basically means that you can have two things true at the same time. So my example is you're walking down the beach, you're in a bathing suit and you feel self-conscious and somebody walks by with a donut and you're like, Ooh, I want that donut. Both are true (laughs) at the exact same time. I'm feeling, you know, uncomfortable in my body and I want to eat a donut. So every day, those are everyday problems. (laughs) So how do you get me to not eat the donut? (laughs) That's that's more of what I want to know. (laughs) I think hope's right. Like when you're speaking about the dialectical piece. There's a difference in understanding the skills and actually applying them, right? So it's the same way as like in medicine, right? There's research at the institutions, but there's, they don't, they're like, but we don't know how to implement it in the communities. Like it's just, you know, it becomes this like huge barrier that no one can get past. So it's almost like you're teaching them the research behind it, but then you're like, and this is how we integrate it. And this is how we make you, you know, utilize these pieces because unfortunately, I feel like with emotions, when people feel an emotion, that becomes what we focus on. Mm-hmm. And no one focuses on why did you have the emotion? Not, oh, well, you're a bad person because you just get you get too angry. You're, you're just too reactionary. You're too angry. Mm-hmm. You're too sad. You're too depressed. No, there's something behind those curtains that's causing that reaction. And that's, I think, what the, the dialectical piece with the DBT with IOP is, Hey, let's help you to find your core. You find your core. Then when you do have a reaction or an emotion or something of that matter, you'll be able to understand it better. And then you get empowered and then you get to live your life. And it's amazing. And, you know, also is amazing is how many people think that IOP with DBT is absolutely worthless. That's the piece that's very frustrating because they don't understand how hugely significant this program is on all levels. It could be, I mean, as Hope does, as young as six, which I think is phenomenal. I think that's how we yeah. change the whole system as we start with the littles. But, you know, but mm-hmm. as young as six, and you know, your whole life, even if you're 90 years old and you're still trying to integrate, we have such different times in life where we transition. You transition from a child to a teenager to a, a young adult to a parent to a grandparent. All these times are beautiful times to where we could go and participate in IOP programs and understand our transitioning piece because we, we look at life as such a linear progression and it's it's not. It's chapters. So when mm. you open a new chapter, 
Go learn about yourself. Go learn how you're going to integrate. How, how, how are you going to be the piece in this puzzle to help make the puzzle complete instead of sitting there becoming a barrier to it? And unfortunately, I feel like in life, we're, we're surrounded. It's easier for us to make barriers than it is for us to actually integrate and be fluid. And I think, you know, when you've been functioning in such a, a way for so long and then you experience um, the benefits of ketamine treatment and now you're seeing your life a little bit differently, we need to wrap around and support how are you going to take, you know, this new experience that you're having in your life and put some skills to support it, right? We've got to wrap around the entire process. And that's why I think it works so well together. And like Katie said, if we can start, you know, as early as possible, you know, teaching um, skills. So we actually call our group room tables, our, di our, dining, bleh, our dining room tables, because we have the conversation around the tables that most people didn't have around their dining room table, right? Like you're sitting there as a little kid and you're telling your parents you had a fight with this kid at school and the parents are like, oh, you'll be fine. You know, just put on a happy smile, you know, don't worry about it. And instead, you know, as a child, you're feeling all these emotions, you have all these questions and you don't know what's going on in your body and in your mind. and and then you're just like not validated and mm -hmm. it just is a, a sinking feeling. And if that happens over and over and over again, we lose the connection of what's what's happening with us. It's just flattened. Well, we, right. Because we're we not take those skills. We don't know what to do forward. Yeah. Or we're told we're too sensitive. That was one of my. Oh, that's the big one, Katie. My That's whole life, big one. guys, with my personality, I was told my whole life I was too sensitive. Oh, right here. Yeah, man. Right here. You're too sensitive. <laughs> you too. Same. Of the three same. of us, oh. all three of us. Oh, oh, oh my gosh. I was one of those kids that just cried for everything, you know? I'd be like, <laughs> I'd be crying. My mom would come in my room and be like, you know, think about Disney World, you know? Like, let's let's go back to bed. Because you'd sit up at night and you'd worry. You'd be like, I would, I would get into these. I don't know if it's growing up Catholic, what it is, the guilt that's built into it. But, um, you know, you, you get into uh, thinking like, oh, what's going to happen? Like we talked about last time, what's going to happen in the future? What's going to happen when my parents are gone? What's going to happen? And I'm thinking about this when I'm like 10, you know, yeah, why, right. why am I not yeah. thinking about, you know, like how, what am I going to, what toy am I going to play with tomorrow? You know? Instead, right. I'm thinking about these kind of worldly things and, and kids do think about those things. You know, people, mm -hmm. people push it off and say like, oh, well, you know, they're just in their feelings. Sometimes you need that kind of release to explain these things and go through them. And, and right. luckily, you know, I had parents that were very open to that. Yeah. They're like, you know what? Let's sit down. Let's talk about this. But a lot of people Fantastic. don't have that or they don't have a scenario um, where they feel comfortable <laughs> bringing that forward. And so, what you're talking about, you know, having a, an actual built-in session, having that dining room table talk is so appealing um, to a lot mm -hmm. of people out there. Well, we like to reframe it. So here's a reframe for the three of us, since we are all called sensitive. <laughs> <our> group therapy <laughs> sessions. Yes, yes. Let's start right now. The sensitive is what they can call us. I just we wanted like flowers to and, and dogs. It's all I wanted. Like, okay. That's a beautiful thing. <laughs> we reframe that as healers. Okay. Right. Yeah. Because if you're having emotional challenges, are you going to go to your accountant and talk about it? 
No, <laughs> you're going to go to somebody. That's probably well, the depends very what you're last talking person. About, I guess. <laughs> Depends how emotional you are in your accountant's office. (laughs) But, you know, you're going to go to somebody who can receive you, who can connect with that, you know, that emotion that's not going to run away from that emotion um, Mm -hmm. conversation. And so we we reframe it as those who were told they were sensitive are healers. And now look at all three of us in this field. So, well, clearly it works. Clearly, our parental role model, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But that's it, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with empathy, and unfortunately, I think that we it scares us, right? I think emotions scare people when you start hearing about them. If you see somebody angry or acting out, or you know, I mean, automatically we're like, oh, they need to go to a therapist. It's like, can't we just try to figure out what the core root is? And you know, and I, I a lot of times with my daughter, like I'll ask her. Like when she gives me a situation, I'll say, well, how did that make you feel? Um, You know, and a lot of times we don't even ask those questions when people are um, speaking at the table. It's like, okay, well, tell us about your grades. How was school? You got any friends? You got any boyfriends? You know, I mean, fortunately, the kids Mm. these days, they don't care that I can see um, as much about that. But I'll tell you, the grandparents and the great grandparents, that's like the first question they ask these children when they're like, 10 or 11 you got any boyfriends you got any girlfriends i'm like no she doesn't care she wants to travel you know i'm like that's my child like she wants to travel she doesn't care about any like the connections at school she just wants to you know go do her own thing and i love that i i think it's something that we're maybe our kids are transitioning into more of an independent singular mm. lifestyle instead of being like, Oh, well, when I'm 18, I've got to have a job. I've got to get married. I've got to have a house. And, and, you know, maybe I was thinking about that the other day, like maybe we're not supporting them the capacity that they need to be supported because mm. they're transitioning to more of a, they do want to go live in the Netherlands. They do want to go live in New Zealand and the things that are so easy for them are like, like my parents per se, it would be completely out of their thought process. They would have never imagined to even have that thought. And these children today, like the world's becoming a more connected place, which yes. is beautiful, you know, but how do we support them too? And, you know, through DBT, through Hope's six-year-old programs and up, <laughs> you know, that's a great way to, to let these little people feel heard. Well, I'll tell you, when you talk about emotions, um, um, Marshall Linehan has an entire section on emotions. And when we tell the clients that we're going into emotional regulation next week, I mean, you start to see like the grimacing faces like, oh, not emotions. Like, please, I don't want to talk about emotions. So we do a really deep dive. We spend 15 hours <laughs> talking about emotions. 15 hours of therapy. And so we tell people that this is an opportunity to learn to love your emotions. And again, the faces are just screaming of like, no. So we, we actually go through and talk about like, what do emotions do for you? You know, I mean, they, Many of the clients are just so used to shutting them down. We want to teach them how they actually help you. And then we go into the deep emotions beyond happy, sad, mad, and glad, right? Like the four emotions that we learned growing up. No, 
So we open that wide up and then we teach you how to regulate those emotions and then how to build yourself a weekly schedule of how to make sure you're regulating your emotions all week long by all these different skills and practices that you need to do. So by the end of the 15 week, 15 hours in just that one section, they're feeling so much more comfortable because they're realizing it actually validates them when they're feeling sad and we teach them how to check the facts to see if they're feeling the right way. And it turns out they are. It validates like, okay, I had a reason to feel sad and it's true. And I feel sad and now I'm aware and look what this has done for me. You know, instead of like, I don't want to feel sad. I'm just going to push it down. And what happens when we push it down? It blows up, right? going to blow up, bottle it up. Yeah. And that, you know, that immediately, Katie, when you said, um, you know, for you asked your daughter, you know, how does that make you feel when I, if I ever got that, you know, in in some circumstances and it's, it's a personal thing. When, when somebody asked me how I feel for so long, I didn't know how to describe it. You know, I didn't even know the words to put to the feeling. So you could say, you just won a baseball game. How do you feel? And you're like, oh, I feel great. Or I feel what, but that would be it. You know, I'd say, I feel great. I, I don't feel accomplished. I don't feel, you know, this, uh, I, I wouldn't even know the descriptive words to use. And it makes me think back to, I took a creative writing class in, in high school. And it was one of my favorite teachers, um, Mr. Lifson. And then I took it in college. Um, I took creative writing with this guy, Dylan Snodgrass, amazing writer, wrote about his entire childhood in the realm of he grew up in Japan and he wrote it as uh, as a book of poems about Godzilla attacking Japan and all the ways that Godzilla attacked the country was how he was going through his childhood. Like he would smash a baseball field because he lost his game. And he had such a good grasp of his emotional uh, reality that he could put it into this goofy kind of uh, thing, you know, of Godzilla attacking these areas and things and make you really think about these deep emotional ties he had to the country he grew up in and, and that kind of thing. And it really got me thinking about that and, and slowly but surely kind of learned how to explain my emotions in that way. But with programs like this, you really get that kickstart that you need to be able to have those conversations. And that's that's the hardest part to me is just what words do I use? I don't even know where, you know, I don't even have the thesaurus for emotions, let alone, you know, being able to sit down and talk with somebody about, you know, these mm-hmm. these deep seated emotions. So that's super interesting. Yeah. And we actually have a. um part of the program where we list like the top 10 emotions, the most common emotions. And then we do the deep dive to show like, where did these even, where did this emotion even start? Because a lot of people feel like emotion, an emotion came out of nowhere from, for me. Like all of a sudden I was just feeling something. So we back it out and go all the way through to discover how did that emotion even occur? It's way before you're actually feeling it, by the way. (laughs) So we, we pull that apart so people understand how it even happens. And so a lot of times in like regular cognitive behavioral therapy, which DBT is a branch off of CBT, 
But in CBT, a lot of times they'll just say, well, if you would just think differently, you know, you'd have a different experience. And that's great. But how? How do I do that? And that's the difference of DBT. We break it down step by step, teaching people how to do that. So it's so powerful. And they they never knew that they could even think this way. You know how you were talking, Brian, about, you know, your thoughts all over the place and all the worries. We call mm-hmm. that the monkey brain, right? Or yes. <laughs> everything bouncing all over the place. And it's like, we'll teach you how to bring that peacefully and quietly together so you can make the best decisions for yourself in the moment. But again, it takes practice and it takes guidance. And that's why we started an adolescent program back in 2016 when we opened the middle path, because all the adults that we were working with were saying, why didn't I get this in high school? And so then we were hearing from the high school kids, why didn't I get this in middle school? Then we're hearing from the middle school kids, you know, and and more from the parents saying, my kids need this younger than middle school. So that's why we started the six to 10 year old program. So it's, it's the people telling us what they need. And we went and provided what the people need. You know, and, and, and I've learned a lot about my emotions over time and, um, a couple of things, you know, somebody told me one time with an emotion that an emotion is just a signal, right? It's an alert. It's to tell you something. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and when they, when they told me that, you know, it really gave me a lot of good insight to where, you know, I was able to disconnect from that emotion and be like, why do I feel angry right now? Or why do I feel sad right now? Or why do I, why am I sulking? Why am I feeling sorry for myself? You know, like different pieces that I could just, instead of being like, this is who I am, I could step back and say, what's my brain doing? Something's wrong. Right. And, and, and if you're able to do that and to disconnect from that aspect, that puts you back in the driver's seat. And there's so many people with emotions that gets so fearful. It's fear. It's all fear. And they get so fearful of having these emotions that either they're crazy or, um, you know, they're going to, we're going to put you on medicines or there's something wrong with me or is it in my genetics? And it's all this catastrophic thinking that starts to yeah. where they don't want to even look under the Band-Aid to see how bad you're cut. And it's like, just rip off the Band-Aid and we'll help you. So when you say regulation, people are like, oh, no, I don't, you know, oh, I don't know about that. We're just teaching you how to live life to where when you walk out into the world, you don't have to feel fearful or sad or angry. You just walk out into the world. You're neutral. You get to choose the emotion that you're having. You get to choose your experience. You get to choose, are you going to be optimistic or pessimistic? There's so much choice here and power. And somehow in society and probably in the mental health world, we have scared people to death about themselves. (laughs) So they're living in this mind and this body and they're like, oh, no, no, no. I don't want to look at my brain. No, I don't. No, I don't want to talk about this. And it's like, it's who you are. It's, it's, you know, it's like you're in avoiding the inevitable. And the more you avoid it, the worse it gets because your brain's like keeps duplicating it. Right. I mean, it keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And, and, it, and as soon as they can just learn about these things, they can neutralize it. And it becomes so easy 
Yeah. You know, it's like, look at Yoda, right? I mean, a little, you know, a little green guy who walks around <laughs> and he's so calm and so powerful when the freaking world around him is exploding. And it's because he's been able to face his own demons or whatever else. And then, you know, and neutralize that. That's the piece I just don't get is mm-hmm. why is it easier to live in fear and avoidance than to disconnect and look at it and neutralize it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, yeah, that, absolutely. that definitely is um, a point where people, I feel like a lot of people, when they get to, uh, when they get to either the middle path or they get to revitalist or they get to, you know, these other centers out there, when they're older, they've gotten burned so many times to get to this point, you know, it, because they're still looking for help. They're not, you know, they haven't found something that worked for them, obviously, or else they wouldn't be to, to where they're seeing us. So when I see older people, you know, um, that's what I think of immediately is that fear of just being burned again. You know, this isn't going to work. This is another thing that I'm going to try and it's going to fail me. And, you know, and, and that fear to, to going to it. And then the other thing is just the culture out there and the kind of the catastrophic thinking when they're looking at um, movies or games or TV, you know, where it shows them time and time again that, you know, if you're thinking this way and, you know, you you have this issue regulating your emotions, you might go down this terrible hole, you know, that's in this movie out there, you know. And so people relate things to the culture and what they grow up in. And those things are are dangerous. You know, how many times, Katie, have you seen people, uh, you know, write articles about ketamine infusion therapy? And the very first line in the article is the 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 rave drug ketamine is now being used for, uh, you know, mental health. And it's like, wow, way to start that off with uh, we're going to be addicted to a rave, you know, drug. You know, Brian, that's a really good point, because that's exactly what we do with the news is we we instill fear That's and right. reactions mm-hmm. and yeah so maybe it's a maybe it's we have to teach how to unlearn that mm-hmm. to actually live and thrive because i mean people they get like who knows how many you know dopamine and norepinephrine and epinephrine that keeps constantly being cycled by people watching the news mm-hmm. and, and maybe that's the pattern that they get accustomed to you know, I don't even turn the TV on anymore. I just have music. Oh, yeah. Because I, I just can't. I, I'm like, if it's negative, I walk away. Yeah. There's too much darkness in the world. And, and I choose not to be involved in it. And unfortunately, when we do get involved in it, especially the elderly population, it becomes their drug. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's something that they really have to work on is like getting away from that addiction. Because when you're addicted to that and you're addicted to that fear, you're constantly, I mean, think about how many older women, especially, and men too now, but especially women are paranoid that somebody's going to come rob them. Somebody's, you know, they're, they're watching them. They know that they're, you know, they know all this catastrophic stuff. And it's like, guys, like you don't have to live in the darkness in order to, to protect yourself. We have the option to live in the light. Right. One of the um, messages that we want to make sure people have by the time they leave the program this is kind of our, our, our words to live by is no matter what happens to me, I can handle it. Mm-hmm. No matter what happens, I can handle it. It's that deep down belief that I can use my wise mind, my skills, and I'll handle it because 
DBT is not about what happens to us in life. Like there's, there's pain and suffering in life. This is life, right? It's all about how do you handle it when it does happen to you? One step at a time. And then if you don't know how to, you got to believe you can though. And Mm -hmm. most people, like you're saying, Brian, come in with so much fear or disbelief that this isn't going to help me. But when they come into a group setting and they see other people who are fighting for their lives, who are saying, I can't live this way in my mind, in my body one more day. I can't stand it. Mm -hmm. Got to do it differently. When people come to us and they come to a a group room that's supportive and warm and and comfortable and they see there's other people fighting for their lives. They're like, okay, we're all in this together. Like I've got support. I'm not doing this alone because to do it alone without support, without guidance, it's so much easier to stay in fear and then just numb out and not connect and make no decisions because you're so scared because every time you used to make a decision, you made it worse. So it it all works together. Yeah, I I like to relate things back to, to, you know, our brain is not much different in shape and size and everything than it was 10,000 years ago, than it was 20,000 years ago, than, you know, and so when you look back in time there, you know, there's a cave in France where they had people who hunted pigs outside of the cave and they lived in that cave and drew on the cave walls about hunting the pigs. They did that for 3000 years in that same cave. 3,000 years, just, you know, hunting the same pig every day. They'd cook it. They'd eat it. The next generation would be born. We have the same brain as those people, yet now we're inundated with there's a new iPhone every day. There's a new update. We can hear about the, the war in Iraq. We can hear about the queen dying. We can hear about this, that, that. We would have been in that cave with our blinders on, hunting that same pig every day and not watch anything else. And that's what our brains <laughs> It's not ultimately ultimately what they were built for because we want to we want to progress we want to evolve we want to grow with the times and you know grow into the future hopefully live on another planet one day that'd be cool but our our I feel like our genetics take time to catch up and we have to have these mechanisms and these skills that people really spend a lot of time building out like DBT to really give ourselves the tools that we need that we just inherently were not built with. Um, that's the way I like to think of it because it get, you know, for some people, it gives them that backing to go, okay, I can live with that. I can say, okay, you know what? I am this caveman, (laughs) you know, I'm this person that, you know, maybe that's why I have my faults, but there are good people out there like you hope and, and you as well, Katie, that, that have built out programs that can change the way we think can change the, and really push the envelope forward to that next step. Well, uh, taking off your pig example, right? Like living in the (laughs) caves, they, our brains, um, are going to go to fear automatically because of the times of like, you know, living in the cave, because if you're walking in the forest, there's things that can kill you. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if you see a stick, if you're not thinking negatively or aware of, oh, the, well, that could be a snake, you could get killed right? Mm-hmm. By that snake bite. So our brains were like set up to be fearful, to be aware, to think negatively. Cause people are always like, why is the first thing I think of something negative? 
And it's like, well, that's your old programming because you had to think negatively or you weren't going to come back from the pig hunt. So it is, it's retraining the brain to think differently, but it's very hard to do it on your own. And if you're in a part, part, part of your life where you are suffering and miserable and you need intensive work, you know, that's where revitalists and middle path come together to really shake you out of that, change the plasticity in your brain, give you the skills. So when, when, DBT, when DBT was being developed and, you know, and, and it's got these portions where you're, you're coming in and you're doing group sessions or you're doing, you know, one-on-one with a therapist, things like that. Are there also homework kind of components to it, journaling or, you know, different aspects like that? Absolutely. In fact, um, we're uh, offered different holistic programming like meditation, yoga, art, music, movement therapy, horticulture therapy, equine therapy. Like that's all part of our program because we want mm-hmm. people to connect with body, mind and spirit in like a different way. So um, they they hopefully will get different interests um, or reignite an interest that they had in the past. And then they come that happened one time and this lady just forgot how much she loved crafting. And we did some work at the middle path. And next thing I know, she was bringing in stuff all the time. And she was like, gosh, I haven't done this in three years. I I forgot how much I love this. So, but we, um, we do um, different homework assignments. Not only does Marsha Linehan's program have, Um, worksheets that we work on because we want people thinking about DBT all the time. Like it's fine to come to group, but you got to keep practicing. It's, it's like when you go to a physical therapist, they give you an hour of exercise, right? And then Mm -hmm. they send you off with a book of exercises you have to do on your own. The one hour a week of physical therapy is not enough. It's the same with DBT. If we're going to change these neural pathways in your brain, you got to work at it. But one of our most recent things that we're doing is called um, um, tree bathing or taking a forest bath where you actually go out into the trees and we have a therapist who's guiding you through how to sit out under the trees and just let the cleansing of the forest just wash all over you and take it in in a new way. So we give assignments of walking around labyrinths. You know, we have all different kinds of fun things that we encourage people to do that push the boundary of what they're used to, to get into a healing space. So we're doing very creative things. (laughs) Well, and you know, the tree, I love trees. They're one of my favorite things. But one thing about trees, too, is, you know, they're... um, They've been around for so long, right? Much longer than most of us sometimes. Um, And they've been through every season. And the only thing that they've needed was sunlight and water to grow. You know, so it keeps things very simple. We feel like the weight of the world's on our shoulders. I always look at trees and I I admire them, you know, because it's just so basic, but it's so strong. Um, Mm. And here's something I I don't know if you've all read this before, but um, I love this thing. Um, So my background, my family has uh, quite a bit of Cherokee Indian in them. And um, somebody told me this, and it's uh, anyway, I, I always keep it in mind. So this is called um, The Tale of Two Wolves. I don't know if you've heard this before. Mm-hmm. Um, but it says, one evening, an old Cherokee told his grandson about, about a battle that goes on inside people. 
He said, my son, the battle is between two wolves inside us all. One is evil. It is anger, envy, jealousy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. The other is good. It is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, forgiveness, truth, compassion, and faith. The grandson thought about it for a minute and then asked his grandfather, which wolf wins? And the old Cherokee simply replied, the one you feed. And I think that's so powerful. Um, Ooh, you know, I got goosebumps on that one. Yeah, that's really good. <laughs> we actually read that one. We read that one in the IOP program because it's so nice. true. Wow. It is. Yeah. Right. It's your default mode network. You know, I mean, it's the one you feed. That's your default mode network. It's in your brain. It's scientifically proven. You know, the more that you train yourself to be negative, the more negative you'll become. Uh, the more you train yourself to be positive, the more positive you'll become. But it just takes that understanding and self-introspection to really understand it. Yeah. And we have to be careful what we speak because we speak things into truth. We identify ourselves, you know, For who sure. we are with what we say about ourselves. So that's another very important part of learning how to change what you think, what you say, how you live your life. I mean, it all comes together to create your destiny. So we have to be so when, aware when people of how are doing, we identify ourselves. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, and when people are doing the, these programs, though, you know, so you change all these things. Like, let's say I'm doing the program and, and I'm, you know, trying to live the program. You know, I'm trying to put all of it into, into existence. But I am in a scenario or an environment, and I hear this time and again, you know, from people, it's like when a, when a spouse quits smoking and then their partner is still smoking, right? You know, and, and, and the difficulty in, in changing those things. So when home environments are difficult like that, are, are there opportunities to bring the family in to kind of involve them in the process or get them kind of learning these skills and, and dealing with it? Because a lot of times it's hard to fight that on your own, you know, just with, uh, you know, with help, it's great, but, but in the home environment. We do. So we have family education night where the families come in and we're teaching them. It depends on what the group is. So if it's the adults, you know, we're mm -hmm. teaching them about um, DBT and depression, anxiety, trauma. For the adolescents, uh, act Marsha Linehan actually has a little program in her book that's called The Middle Path, and which is where we took our name from. And it tell, it's a whole section on teaching the parents how they can support their child with DBT. And a lot of it is about validation, which we talked about. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, for the little ones, um, we have a lot of parent involvement because, you know, six to 10 years old, we need the parents actively involved. So they're far more involved um, at that age group. But we do. We bring the families in. And then also when the um, clients graduate from our program, we have something called an aftercare program. And they can come back every week for an hour for a year. 
And so we're just instilling more and more DBT. Um, they're with other people that have gone through our program. And that just keeps that learning going and keeping those pathways going. So um, it just becomes more and more successful. So a lot of IOP programs in the hospitals, once you finish your program, you're done. Like they don't, they don't offer anything. And I, I'm like, absolutely, we have to keep this going. Mm -hmm. You know, DBT is a stabilization. And then we launch you into a lower level of care, like individual therapy. But we have to keep DBT going. So we offer all those groups, all different times, virtual, in-person, different ages, like different times, because we believe in it so much. So, and that's just a small copay, like 30 bucks, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah. Or your insurance copay just for the one hour a week for a year. Mm -hmm. And it builds community. You need to be around other people that are thinking with wise mind because you start to realize, oh, that person thinks an emotional mind. Oh, <laughs> I'm not going to be talking about my issues right now while you are so high up in your emotion. I'll come back, circle back <laughs> when you've settled down a little bit, and then we can have our conversation. So yeah, it's, um, it's definitely who yeah. you surround yourself with. Um, I, I always say that is the biggest thing because before starting with the revitalist, you know, and, and working, you know, with different groups and doing different things. When I came to revitalist, it was like, you know, I met Katie, she's doing all these amazing things and, and really, you know, really taking care of herself and doing healthy, you know, healthy habits. And, and then I meet candy and I meet, you know, all, all these different people at revitalist who are telling me like, Hey, I'm trying this new, I'm trying this new vitamin. I'm trying this new supplement. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's get healthy together. You know? And really, and now, see, now people are going to tell on me, but, but really, you know, when you, when you surround yourself with people that are looking at improving in multitude of aspects, not only, you know, health is important to them, but mental health. And, and, you know, I took that in wholly and I, to, you know, this year, this day, I feel better probably than I have, you know, when I was 25, you know, and, you know, and that was 10 years ago now. So you know, I really do. And it really, um, I really put that on the people that I surrounded myself with and the company mm. that I joined and the culture that I joined. And it really is a cultural shift that took it that to happen. And so that's what I hear from you, Hope, you know, that it, it really is when you go to these groups, you, you know, and immerse yourself in the process, that's really when, you know, change can occur. Yeah, it really is. And we are, um, going to try something new. We're going to offer a family IOP, exactly to your point, Brian, um, where if all of the family members qualify for this level of care, this intensive outpatient program, we're going to treat the whole family and that's going to be the group. So to your point of let's make some really intense change and work with the whole family. And so we we have a family that is interested in being part of this. So we're excited to see how we can create, it'll be all dialectical behavior therapy, but teaching the entire family at one time. So. That's great. We'll see what happens, but we're really excited about that it. It is exciting, for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's a great thing. So, uh, 
when people graduate this program and then you said, you know, they, for a year, they, they have these follow-up sessions they can attend. It's kind of an optional session for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. then even post that, what are some of the things that you see clients kind of get into? Uh, you know, you mentioned in your programs, you have yoga, meditation, um, some art therapy, equine therapy. I'm a huge proponent of the equine therapy. I've, I, I've had people come okay. in. I had Greg from Camaraderie Rescue tell me all about having veterans go to the, the veteran healing farms and just oh, have yeah. these transformational experiences um, working with horses. That stood out to me as a, a big one. But what do you see people get into, you know, kind of post DBT? Yeah, well, the um, the part about maintaining balance and however they want to maintain that balance in their life is what we're striving for. So we do see people continue with the holistic programs. We see people continue with the aftercare beyond a year because they've developed such great supports. Um, and we do see people sometimes come back because you know what, Brian, life happens. And when you get whammied a couple times, you need to get uh, some skills <laughs> back in. Um, we're, we're there to support people because I mean, it, it's just life, you know, no judgment. And so, um, we see for the most part, people that write letters to us and tell us what's going on, that they're living their best lives. And, um, it's just magical what happens there. Yeah. It's powerful when you get those, when you get that feedback. Yeah. When you get that feedback that people you know, their life is, is different from something that you did. And, and you get almost a little jaded to it. And Katie, I don't know if you've had this kind of feeling where, you know, you're doing these treatments and helping all these people. And, uh, and then all of a sudden it's like so many people are getting so much better and things are going great that you're like, Oh yeah, that's just another one. You know? Oh yeah, we fixed them. That's great. And, And then you have to really think back to it and you have to, I have to do it, you know, on a weekly basis, I, I think about, you know, a case or a person and I'm like, this changed their life. It changed their entire outlook. And it was something so it wasn't simple. It took, it took time to develop. It, it took, it, it took, you know, uh, from our, from our perspective, you know, that it, it took our studying and our, you know, our dedication to the art and to the therapy and everything. And then on their end, it took work. Um, and you know, we have to remind ourselves of that. And, and so having these, I mean, this is almost my group therapy every week, you know, having, having both of you to kind of bounce these off of is great. That's why you know, we that, keep coming back every week. You see, you see, well, I, you see I, what I just I've, I've roped you into. I love it. Our new group's going to be called the sensitivities. Ooh, yeah. I like it. <laughs> Uh, I do want to say we do one follow-up questionnaire for a year that we email out to people um, for uh, like SurveyMonkey or something. And our main question is, you know, have you followed up with DBT? Are you still continuing to do it? But our most incredible um, statistic, if you want to say, and, and I always think about the people behind those numbers, so I agree with you, Brian, is have you been rehospitalized? Mm-hmm. that's what we want to know. Have you gone back into the hospital? Those that did go in, have been in the hospital before psychiatric hospital, 96% of the people who did our program did not return to the hospital in a year within one year. Wow. 
So these are people that have been regularly going through the hospital programs and they didn't go back. Some did. But and the costs, right? The cost on society with that, that you've saved the insurers so much money by, by doing these programs, you know? I mean, Cheers. it's, it's, it's come back. And so, you know, we had insurance companies coming to us, asking us to be in network. Like that's pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. They wanted sure. us in network. I'm like, really? <laughs> okay. Yeah. We, can, we can help more people that way. But yeah, so we're really proud of that, that um, the program's very, very effective for people's lives. And it's Well, great. you know, I, I appreciate having you both on again today. Um, you know, we're going to kind of wrap it there a little bit. If, if anybody has questions, though, about DBT, um, that specific therapy, make sure to check out the links in the description. Um, we have Hope Renault here. She's from the Middle Path. It's the middlepath.life. Uh, and, mm-hmm. um, and make sure you check out revitalistclinic.com um, for more information on, on Katie Walker's side and my side as well, you know, working with Revitalist. Um, and I'll make sure that my wife does not listen to this episode so she doesn't know how sensitive I am or the fact that, uh, <laughs> that I have a monkey brain. She might call me monkey brain. <laughs> And I feel like she'll she'll kind of glom onto that word. So um, I'll be like, "Honey, don't listen to this Anything one." Anything I can do to help. Anything I can do. I got you t-shirt. Sensitivities. You got yeah. You. I love it. The sensitivities. No more fun guy. We'll get sensitivities. Awesome. Well, I appreciate having you both on um, for another one, and uh, look forward to the next. Thanks. All right. Thank you, guys. Bye.